the most awful morning um, in my life. Uh, it's possible. Um, it's up there. It's ranked highly. It's highly ranked in my, um, my lifetime as a father. Uh, our youngest daughter, um, total meltdown. Complete meltdown. My wife uh, fed them breakfast and woke up with them, and, but then I was in charge of getting them dressed. And uh, things didn't work out too well um, with our youngest daughter, Sadie. Total, complete meltdown. Um, and that's not really, you know, when you know you're preaching, that's not the frame of mind <laughs> that you want to start Sunday morning in. Uh, it didn't start off well. Um, I was super angry, very mad, lashed out a little bit, um, very, very frustrated. And uh, because of that, man, um, this morning uh, I just felt really, really weak, um, really, really exhausted and just really, really just kind of like anxious and frazzled um, and uh, knowing that I have to preach um, in a few hours, uh, you know, it, it led me to a point of, um, of weakness um, where ultimately uh, I had to um, pray, and I did, um, for God's strength. And um, uh, whether or not I have that strength yet, yeah, I guess we'll find out uh, after the sermon. Um, but I'm feeling good now. I'm feeling good. <laughs> I'm feeling good. Um, and that's, that's kind of what we're going to talk about a little bit um, through a birth text of, of Jesus is, uh, is weakness, um, is vulnerability. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's our it's the weakness um, that we're going to learn and how God came down to us uh, into the world and he made himself vulnerable and himself weak. But ultimately his weakness ended up being his strength. Uh, it ended up being God's power. And uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit through a birth text here. And uh, man, just to catch you up on what's been going on, we've been walking through um, this sermon series called, series called Origin Story. And basically what we're talking about that with the origin story is uh, most of you know that I love movies and uh, I speak in movies. So, you know, I relate things in life to movies and, and stuff like that. And uh, when we're watching a character uh, arc unfold, through a course, the course of many movies, um, uh, after you get along, it's actually quite easy to forget the fundamentals of who that character is and why they're doing what they're doing. Um, it's easy to forget that. And it actually pays uh, to go back to the first movie or the origin story. It pays to go back to the origin story and remind ourselves of those fundamentals of who that character is and why they're doing what they're doing. And, uh, you know, you know I love movies and in preparation of the, the Star Wars movie that just came out a few days ago. Um, man, uh, a couple weeks ago, a month ago, I, I, I was like, you know what? I want to go back to the beginning. Um, before I see uh, this final movie in the Skywalker saga for 40 years, this 40-year saga, you know, when you peel back all the layers of what's been going on all these years, I wanted to go back to the first movie, to, to A New Hope, and just rediscover the core uh, of that story, of the Star Wars Skywalker uh, saga. And, and I did that, and I rediscovered the core. So I'm ready. I'm ready for that movie. I might see it tonight. I'm not sure, um, but I'm ready. 
and uh, basically uh, the point is, is in a sense, that's what we're doing with Jesus. Um, that's what we're doing with him. Uh, you know, when you, when you read through the scriptures, um, all these layers build up of who he is and what he's come to do and how it affects our lives and how it affects the church, how it affects the world. Um, it can be really easy to just kind of forget the fundamentals um, of who he is and, and why he came to do what he has done. So we're going back to the birth text. We're going back to the origin story uh, of Jesus to rediscover uh, some rest. For some of you, it might be to actually learn for the first time. For some of us, it might be just to be reminded um, of these important fundamentals uh, of who Jesus is and our faith and what it all means and how we should live. And man, two weeks ago, Two weeks ago, we were in the Jesus's genealogy. Uh, man, of all the things that you, man, a genealogy, what can I possibly get from a genealogy? But man, there is so much truth, powerful truth in Jesus's genealogy. And two weeks ago, uh, we learned about God's humanity in Christ and what that means for us in our lives. God's humanity in Christ and through his genealogy, we learned about God's grace in Christ. Jesus came from a dysfunctional family, terribly dysfunctional family. And I think we can all relate. I think we can all relate. I can relate. Um, but man, we learned those fundamentals ab about Jesus. And uh, last week we learned um, about how Jesus's birth, uh, it confronts our fears. His birth, uh, God's coming into the world, uh, confronts our fears and addresses our fears and, and giving us unity and peace with each other and with God. We learned that last week, and now here we are this week. We're in Matthew uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 23. So let's get into the text. Let's get into the text. It says this, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 23, and it's on the screen. It's kind of a long text, so I'm just going to read through it, and then I'm going to talk about it. <clears throat> it says this, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. That was written by the prophet. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. 
And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. He sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. And then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth. So that was what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Man, Christmas, is, it's a wonderful time of the year, is it not? It is a wonderful time of the year. I love Christmas. It's my favorite time of the year. But the origin story of Jesus and Christmas are far from it. They are far from it. And that is just the reality of the situation. Through Matthew, God gives us an account of Jesus' birth, not his delivery, not his delivery, but events surrounding his birth. And the events surrounding Jesus' birth is filled with fear, it's filled with deception, it's filled with bloodshed, it's filled with bloodshed, it's filled with injustice, man, it's filled with homelessness, it's filled with people on the run a family on the run. These are uneasy events. These are not uh, events that are easy to digest. You know, one would think the, the Messiah is coming, God himself. This is not how you would expect the Messiah to come into the world. And yet he does. And if we're honest, all these things, it hasn't really changed much today, has it? Fear and deception bloodshed and injustice and homelessness. Things have not changed today. And Matthew's account tells us a few fundamentals. It's a few fundamentals about Jesus and our faith. And I want to share with you two things. Uh, we're going to learn two things uh, through. The first one is, I call it, and it's going to be on the screen, are the two things that I, I want to share with you. The strength of Herod. We're going to talk about the strength of Herod. And then that second thing we're going to talk about, we're going to learn, is the weakness of the wise men. 
the strength of Herod and the, weak of the, the weakness of the wise men. And all that's going to make sense uh, when we're finished. So the first one, the first one, fundamental number one, is what we see here is the strength of Herod. Now, we can't miss the contrasting reactions between the wise men and Herod. It's very clear. Matthew has made that very distinct um, in his account of Jesus' birth, is these contrasting reactions between the wise men and Herod. And the, the wise men, they were wise men. They're exactly what the scripture says. They were wise men, but these wise men, they were, they were astronomers. They were um, Eastern thinkers, um, kind of like philosophers. Um, you would call them sages, um, these great thinkers, uh, these innovative people uh, in that culture. And um, man, they knew about what the Hebrew scriptures say about the Messiah. Man, somehow that they knew uh, about the, what the Hebrew scriptures said about the Messiah. And they were seeking to worship Jesus. They were seeking to worship Jesus. Herod. Herod was a troubled man. Herod was troubled. He was disturbed. And Herod plotted to kill Jesus by genociding all male babies under the age of two in Bethlehem in that area. And based on what we know from Bethlehem at that time, the population of Bethlehem in that time, it would have been 20 to 30 babies. It would have been 20 to 30 babies in Bethlehem. Herod was unusually violent. He was an unusually violent ruler, uh, even by the standards of that time. Most rulers were very violent at that time, in, in ancient time. And uh, he was a violent ruler. He killed many members of his court. He killed many members of his own family, of his own family, to ensure that his absolute power was unchallenged. That his power was unchallenged. Now one of the great themes of throughout the Bible is mankind's enmity with God. Our resistance to God. How we step away from God. Now, very few would disagree that evil exists in the world. Very few people would disagree that evil exists in the world. But man, most of us disagree on what? Where it comes from. Most of us would widely disagree. Now, a lot of people say, you know, it comes from the rich and powerful. Evil comes from the rich and powerful. They're to blame. So that puts the poor as the heroes and the rich and powerful as the villains. But then there's a lot of people that say, well, no, evil comes from the poor Evil comes from the poor and the minorities. They're to blame. They're the villains. And that puts the rich and the powerful as the heroes. Right? Some say the lazy and irresponsible people are the villains, making the hardworking people the heroes. Man, some people say it's a particular race where this evil comes from, whether it's white or black or whatever. Some people say it's a particular race. The birth account seems to actually side with the poor and the minorities here, as we see Joseph, this blue-collar family, Joseph and Mary, and Jesus. The birth account seems to side with the poor and the minorities as the heroes, but, man, if we understand the full text of the Scriptures, if we understand the whole of Scripture, it teaches us that the source of the world's evil is every human heart. Everybody. Man, all of us. Evil comes from all of us. We all contribute in some way 
to the evil that we see in this world, big or small. King's Her King Herod's reaction to Christ is in a sense, uh, it's a picture of us all, of all of us, of everybody in the world. Now, you might be offended to be compared to Herod when we see what he's done here. You might be offended to, to be compared uh, to Herod, but I urge you to look not at the outward actions, not at what he actually did, but I urge you to really focus on his inward motivations. And when we focus on his inward motivations, I think we'll find that we have a lot more in common with Herod than we care to admit. According to the Bible, evil of the world, it stems from this self-centeredness. It stems from this self-righteousness, this self-absorption of every heart. Each of us wants the world to orbit around us and to orbit around our needs and our desires. We have a Big or small, uh, a thirst for power. We have a thirst for control in our lives. We have this thirst for self-importance and self-significance. Man, Herod, Herod thought only of the threat the Messiah posed to his power. He didn't actually think, man, maybe this could be the Messiah. Maybe this could be him. And maybe I should inquire about that. But all he could think about was his power, his control, his self-importance, his needs, his desires to be threatened by anything that would compromise it. And this Messiah was compromising his power and his control, his ruler, his kingship. There's this... Natural enmity and this deep resistance in the human heart against the claims that God has over us. Jesus is calling for allegiance to him that is supreme. It's supreme. If he is God, wouldn't that make sense? If God created us, if he exists, and if he created us, wouldn't he want our allegiance to him to be supreme? An unconditional loyalty to the glorious person who created us. And yet there is this deep resistance to that in our hearts. And we see it in Herod. It's a claim of absolute authority. And it's a summons to unconditional loyalty. And it inevitably triggers deep resistance. And like Herod, we believe the lie that we are stronger, that we are wiser, that we are more powerful and more in control than we actually are. We believe that about ourselves. So we see the strength of Herod is actually his weakness. We see how a story evolves in this text. And his supposed strength actually turned out to be his weakness. And he paid for it. And he paid for it. It led to his demise. Herod had this self-strength this self-reliance, self-importance, and self-significance. And it led to anxiety, right? It, it led to anxiety and paranoia. Man, there's this Messiah. What am I going to do? I don't want to lose my power. I don't want to lose my control. And he struggled with that. And we see what happens. So Herod's strength was actually his weakness. 
So this brings us to the second fundamental in this text, which is the weakness of the wise men. The weakness of the wise men. The wise men were looking. Man, the wise men were searching for the Messiah. You don't look for something that you don't think you need. If you don't think you need something, you don't look for it. You don't look for it. The wise men were wise. They were wise. They knew their weakness and they recognized their need of the Messiah, Jesus. And But through Christ's birth, we learn about Jesus' weakness and how God doesn't operate the way we expect. Man, we learn about Jesus' weakness. And Jesus doesn't behave the way that we would expect him to behave or the way that the world would expect him to behave. Now, the Bible, it tells us that Jesus is coming twice. The second time, he's coming in power. The second time, he's coming in power to end all evil, to end all suffering, to end all death. But the first time, the first time he came, when he was born, he came in weakness. He came in weakness and vulnerability. Man, Jesus had no academic credentials. Jesus had no social status. Jesus was born in a horse trough, and his family settled in Nazareth. They settled in a town called Nazareth. Nazareth was a town of nobodies. It was a town of nobodies and nothings. Man, if you're into Star Wars, you would understand this, but man, there's this town called Mos Eisley on Tatooine. Right? Somebody understands me. <laughs> Mos Eisley was a town of nobodies. It was a town of nothings. All the garbage and the junk traders and the, the nothing people, they would all just find their way to Tatooine and they would hang out in Mos Eisley. That's basically what Nazareth was. That's basically what Nazareth was. Or if you've seen the movie um, Wall Street, right? Gordon Gecko's uh, assistant, he... Uh, He's, uh, he's admiring Gordon Gecko's art, and it's super, super expensive art, and he's admiring it. And, you know, in other words, he's like, wow, that's amazing. You must be able to, to purchase an amazing house with how much that that piece of art is worth. And his uh, secretary, Gecko's secretary, Daryl Hannah, is like, yeah, if you live in Wildwood, <laughs> New Jersey, right? Nazareth is like the Wildwood of New Jersey. This is where Jesus and his family settled. This is where he was raised. People thought nothing good can come from Nazareth. And if from Nazareth, you couldn't possibly be one of the top people. You just couldn't be one of the top people if you came from Nazareth. And if you're talking about the Messiah, the Messiah couldn't come from Nazareth. They just couldn't. You see, the world... The world has always despised people from the wrong places and with the wrong credentials. That is the world and how the world views things. The world is filled with tracks. The right side of the tracks and the wrong side of the tracks. Everywhere you look, there's tracks. The right side and the wrong side. We are always trying to justify ourselves and desperately need to feel superior to others. And if we don't want to feel superior to others, we want to feel important in our own eyes. We want to feel significant in our own eyes. And the world insists that if anybody has the answers, 
if there's a Messiah, if anybody has the answers to this life, to this, this world and the things that we seek, they have to come from certain places, certain people with certain credentials. You've got to come from Harvard. If you have the answers, man, you've got to come from Harvard. You've got to have been born in New York City, right? Or Boston, you got to have the credentials from Harvard. You have to have gone to seminary. If you have the answers, they have to come from people who look a certain way, who have gone to certain schools and are from certain places. Everything about Jesus, everything about his birth contradicts this and opposes those human impulses. God habitually operates in the very opposite way, and we see it here in this text. Think about it. Amid the giant advanced nations of Egypt, Assyria, and Babylon in the Old Testament, he chose a small, weak family that became a small nation of Israel. A weak nation with little power. In the midst of all of these big advanced nations. Man, think about it. God dispatched Goliath, not with a bigger giant. Not with a bigger giant. A little shepherd boy in David. Man, in ancient times, when the oldest son got wealth, the oldest son got all the wealth, and the younger son had no social status. How did God work? Every single time, how did God work? He chose to work through Abel and not Cain, Isaac and not Ishmael, Jacob and not Esau, Joseph and not his brothers, his older brothers, Ephraim and not Manasseh, David and not his older brothers. He went for the younger. He went for the younger with the no social status and the no wealth. All throughout Scripture, and at a time when women were only valued for their beauty and fertility, how did God work? How did God work? God chose old Sarah. God chose old Sarah and not young Hagar. Not young Hagar. He chose unattractive Leah, who Jacob didn't love. He chose unattractive Leah, who Jacob didn't love, not Rachel. He chose Rebecca, who couldn't have children. He chose Hannah, who couldn't have children. He chose Elizabeth, who couldn't have children. Time and time again, weakness. Weakness. Why? God is saying to us, all throughout Scripture, and in this birth text, He's saying, I will choose Nazareth, not Jerusalem. I will choose Nazareth. I will choose the forgotten. I will choose the unloved. I will choose the weak to make my power perfect in the world. Now, because of this, because every other religion says, Gathering up all of your strength, gather up all your strength and live as you ought is the way. That's what all the religions say. And because of this, 
The religions appeal to who? The strong. The put-together people. The Herods. The Herods who think they're powerful and strong and that they can hold it together. Jesus says, I have come for the weak. And he doesn't say that there are, he doesn't say that in the sense that there are strong people and there are weak people. What he means is, I come for those who admit their weakness. Everybody's weak. Every person in the world is weak. We have no power, we have no control. It's a lie the power and the control that we think we have. We don't have it put together. I learned that this morning. Again. Jesus comes for those who admit their weakness. Everybody is weak. The question is, is do we admit it? Do we realize it? Do we realize it? Jesus says, I will save them not by what they do, but what I will do for them on the cross. The disciples, they kept asking Jesus. They kept asking Jesus, when are you going to take power and save the world? When are you going to take power and save the world? And Jesus kept saying, you don't understand. But one day you will. One day you will understand. I'm saving the world by losing power. I'm saving the world by dying and losing power. And in all of this, God is telling us that the way to him is not our morality, it's not religion, it's not strength, but it's weakness. It's weakness. You know, my, my, my best days and my most prosperous seasons are not when I'm feeling strong. They are not when I'm feeling like I'm all put together and I'm getting things right. My best days and my most prosperous seasons in my relationship with God are when I am tired and when I am lowly and when I am discouraged. And God has a way of making it my strength. Making it my strength. The wise men were looking and searching for the Messiah and you don't look for something that you don't think you need. The wise men were wise. And they knew their weakness, and they recognized their need of the Messiah. And that it was born in Bethlehem and raised in Nazareth didn't have any bearing on their seeking Jesus. No bearing. And so we have seen the strength of Herod was his weakness. And we see that the weakness of the wise men was their strength. And ultimately, we see that the weakness of Jesus was his power. It was his strength. We see that through Herod. We saw his anxiety and his paranoia that comes from his strength, his perceived strength. But then we see the wise men uh, and, their, and their perceived weakness, their understanding of their weakness, and it led to peace. It led to salvation. It led to joy. It led to worship of God. It led to seeking Jesus for the right reasons. Now, I want to conclude on this with uh, some comforts and some challenges. Some comforts and some challenges. I think a comfort from Christmas, a comfort from Christmas is that no matter who you are or what you've done, what you look like, the credentials that you don't have, 
through faith in Christ, God can use you for his great and eternal purposes. Now, I think a lot of you believe that in your mind, but I don't know that you believe that in your heart. Because when it goes from your head to your heart is when your life starts to change. And when you start seeing God's purpose fulfilled in your life. Man, that should be comforting. That should be comforting from this Christmas story. Some challenges. Some challenges. I challenge you to see yourself as weak. To understand that you have no control over your life. You have no control. You have no power over your life. I challenge you to, to embrace it. To embrace your weakness. To admit your weakness. To embrace it. And to go to God with your weakness. It's okay you don't know everything. It's okay that you're not strong enough. Man, the wave of the world that comes at us is you are strong enough. You are strong enough. And you know everything. But man, embrace the truth that we are weak and we are not strong and it will be your strength. And not only that, embrace that you don't have to be strong like the world tells you. Man, pick yourself up. You gotta be strong. In a time of weakness, it's okay. You don't have to be strong. You don't have to be strong. It's okay to be weak, and with God, it will be your strength. And another challenge, what makes the Christmas story so special is it's a season in where we're encouraged to view others, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done or what they look like or how few credentials they have, that God loves them. Now, earlier, I challenged you to believe that about yourself now I'm challenging you to believe that about others around you in the community. In the community. No matter who they are, what they've done, what they look like, how few credentials they have, God loves them and through faith in Christ, God can use them for his eternal purposes. Man, that's what we see here in this text. The strength of Herod that ended up being his weakness and the weakness of the wise men that ended up being their strength. And ultimately, we see the weakness of Jesus that ended up being his strength and his power.